All right. Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey, everybody. How's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. And let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. Every interaction that you have, you should be trying to bring value to that interaction. It's something that I'm consistently learning and thinking about a lot more is when I approach a work meeting, I really try to think about the other person's perspective, what they're doing, and how do I bring something of value to that conversation. So for example, I've been working with some folks in human resources. So I've been trying to read a lot more about what problems are they going through and how can I add value to all of those, to some problem. And it may not be exactly what I'm bringing to the table, but it's really orienting the conversation around what their, their problems are. Sometimes, you know, it might be a funny story that happened to you that kicks the meeting off on a really positive note, you know, and that can, that can add some value or it's understand like asking some good opening questions. But I think that, you know, that's something I've noticed as I've moved along in my career and, um, trying to, trying to be a little bit more of a leader in those conversations as making sure that you always provide some value on that. So that's kind of the, ta- that's my takeaway message of the, the day or the week, I guess. I think it's also a good, um, reminder especially in organizations where meeting culture is like super big time and i would imagine that most organizations today i mean unless you're like writing computer code or something are pretty meeting heavy you know if i really tried to i could easily fill up my entire day from 8 a.m to 8 p.m with meetings like just one after the other the whole day Um, and I think that's a good, one of the rules, like I always kind of come back to is like, if I'm not adding value to the discussion, there should be no reason that I have to attend, or there should be no reason for me to attend because all it does is prevent me from having like more focused work time. And in, I hate those meetings where it's like, oh yeah, I should just be like aware of what's going on. It's like, do I really need to be aware of what's going on (laughs) or not, (laughs) you know, or like, should you just update me with the following and include me? And I should just trust that like anything that is relevant is, um, going to be communicated to me. I think meeting culture where you have that sort of like meetings all day, every day is more of a symptom of like organizational kind of distrust or like not optimal management because you you feel the need to always be in these discussions when like you know you may not necessarily really have to be Mm -hmm. so that's something that i'm always like paying attention to is like would i offer you know do i speak you know and if i don't speak there should just be like meeting minutes that are emailed out And I should be able to catch up with the discussion based on that, as opposed to needing to, you know, like take moments out of my day to just, you know, for my awareness. It's just something that bothers me is like, you know, I just want to be aware of what's going on. It's like, okay, you know, do you really want to? Or like, 
Um, yeah, is it a control thing? Is it a control thing? I think one one thing I've noticed from people that are really good leaders is they don't need to be in control all of the time and they trust a lot of their employees to update them whenever it's really needed. And instead of it being this like hovering, you know, I need to know at all the time, I need to be aware of every possible thing. Uh, it's a little bit more trust. And in some of those meeting cultures, I can see that gets complicated because it's like, you invite instead of the meeting then being like five people, it's like 15 people or, you know, three people that really need to be in the meeting. It's eight people. And the more people you invite into meetings, the less productive I usually find those are. 100% agree. It's so frustrating to have like meeting bloat and just, um, you know, like all of these people involved who just really don't need to be there. Again, I think it comes down to a lack of organizational trust and a lack of like organizational kind of, uh, you know, effectiveness as, as far as disseminating information. I mean, I've just started a new gig and I find it so helpful to get meeting minutes from things. It's just remarkable to have somebody like, take really great notes and have a distribution and then just read that as opposed mm -hmm. to like spending an hour and a half or an hour contributing to a discussion where it really may not be that material to what you're doing, but well, it creates less accountability to what is being said, you know, and then it's more, you go back to control. Only the people in the meeting are purviewed to that information. So then it becomes a whole other control dynamic and that meeting minutes I think that's really important. And the summary that is written, you know, what are the decisions we made, who made them, and then how do we move forward? So that's, that's really cool that they do that. Is it like a consistent process that they use? Like it's just kind of an expectation. Somebody does it and then sends it out. Yep, it is. Yeah, that's great organizationally. And, you know, that's one way that I've seen be successful. Another way the Amazon way that I've heard, and I think we've talked about this in the podcast before, but it's, they come to the meeting with a topic. Somebody writes a summary of their key points, their objectives, and then what they want to happen. And everybody for the first 10 minutes reads it. And it's a typed document in word. And then they all read it. So everybody's on the same page. And then they ensue in the discussion whatever the discussion held, they make the decisions and they end the meeting. And it's supposed to increase efficiency, which sounds very efficient. <laughs> that would be so awesome. That sounds yeah. absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I would it? love to do that. Yeah. Talk about oh a way. God. And I think you and I, because of our, our familial background, just efficiency is something that we really like and respect. I was thinking about that the other day. I went downstairs to get something and I thought of getting something else. And I found a lot of pleasure in understanding instead of just going down for one thing, I had two things to go down there. You know, <laughs> that gave me a sense of like, like pure joy and pleasure that I was going down there and I found something else where I didn't have to go down twice. And it was like that gave, <laughs> I was kind of laughing at how much pleasure that gave me because it was just, 
that's just how we've been raised. <laughs> it absolutely is. Uh, and the other uh, comment that we've made on the podcast before is the uh, the how quickly do you get your keys out when you're walking to the door? Like <laughs> that's right away. One of, one of those like ticks that is kind of funny about like how much thought and energy do you put into preparing yourself for like the next thing that occurs in your life. And I find that like opening a door or, um, you know, whatever it might be is, is a very simple way to think about like how much forethought. And I find myself putting way too much emphasis on it. Sometimes it's oh, yeah, definitely, it goes, yeah. it's a double-edged sword for sure. You're preparing um, way in advance for something that doesn't need to prepare that much preparation for, like yep. putting the keys in your car. <laughs> yeah. Like how quickly do you find that key in advance of needing to open the door? It's just, it's kind of insane really, but, um, it's, it's certainly, it's a helpful skill. Um, but like you said, double-edged sword. So, um, well, anyway, no. I, I, I've got some good news. Um, my shoulder pads are coming in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're coming in. They're not like yours, but, um, they're, they're coming in. The dad shoulder pads? Dad shoulder pads are, are coming in. They're, they're just peeking through right now. Um, and, and for those of you that don't know, um, mowing guys, and and I don't even know if it's a mowing thing, frankly, because you and I, and you and I are frankly the only like really hairy mowing guys. <laughs> Aaron is too mowing. Is he? Yeah, he's got okay. the same thing. He had the he had the he had the tricep hair coming in last uh, last summer, and I was j joking with him on it. Okay. Yep. Excellent, because. Um, the other guys, not as much, you know, when you look nope. across. Mm -mm. So uh, for those of you that don't know, shoulder pads are, we, uh, and I've always had, so this is, there's some backstory here. Um, I actually got a text from a previous lacrosse player of mine. Uh, I used to coach lacrosse and I, on the first day of practice, um, I said, after the end of practice, I gathered everybody around and I was like, okay, I'm going to teach you guys a lot about lacrosse, but I'm also going to teach you a lot about life. So is there anything else that you guys want to know about this summer? And one of the kids raises his hand and goes, can you teach us how to talk to girls? And these are ninth and 10th graders. And I was like, absolutely. I will teach you how to talk to girls. I was probably like 22 at the time, 20, maybe something like that. So, you know, I'm four or five years older than these kids. Um, and I love that mentorship role. I think it's so much fun. And so after every practice, I would give a, um, a rule. So we would practice and then we'd gather around and I'd give a rule or two about, um, what I called at the end of this, so it was this, uh, and I, so this, this text message that I got from a previous player was a picture of the end of the season, um, handout that I gave because 
I would give a rule. So, you know, after the first practice, after the second practice, I gave rule one, you know, and then the third or whatever, I gave rule two. And at the end of the season, I had these 13 rules and I called them the 13 commandments of a Casanova. And he sent me a, and then I, I printed them off and I laminated them and I distributed them at the end of the season. To, and then this kid sent me a picture of it and it was an absolute blast from the past. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Um, and I just had a, such a laugh and such a fond memory of that. It was just a fun season. Uh, we went on to win what was <clears throat> what was called the state tournament at the time for summer ball. So you know it was a, it was a it was a successful season as well. But um, the um, the the kids. Uh, well, was, so anyway, the first commandment of a Casanova is be confident with your chest hair. And that is because these young guys are like, you know, 13, 14 years old. They're just going through puberty. Some of the kids have armpit hair and chest hair and some of them don't. And it's like an awkward thing. You know, everybody's talking about pubes. Uh, you know, they're just teenage That's a big topic of conversation for anybody. A lot of conversation about pubes, pubes <laughs> which as a young male, you know, you're, you're taking showers for the first time with your boys. So you, you just can't, that's, uh, unfortunately that's what, that's, that's what goes on in teenage years, early teenage years. So all the mothers listening, you're probably, you know, bleeding out of your ears right now, but that's truly what the discussion topic. <laughs> I would One say. Factor, and I remember actually it was a big concern, you know, on either end, either way you were. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, to, to give some context for our female listeners, I would venture to say that like all of them out there, you know, there's hundreds, yeah, maybe, I don't know, 20 to 30% of the overall comp, it could be higher than that. It could be as high as 30 to 40% of the overall conversation revolves around pubes or penises for like four years. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is very true. <laughs> I mean, for, you can consider basically um, eighth grade to probably 10th grade. It's pretty much just pubes and penises. That's it. a lot it. of that. <laughs> a lot of that. And I think one of the one of the driving forces of that is showers with sports. You know, and that that opens Pandora's box to a lot of discussion. Yeah, there's a lot of surveying going on. Yeah. And this is Call just it. the unfiltered truth, unfor you know, unfortunately. Yeah. It's just what happens. Uh, it's not glamorous. There, no. There's, there's a lot of gamesmanship going on. Uh, yep. There's the game, and then there's the game after the game. Uh, yep. A lot of lot of positioning, shall we say? Yep, uh, and uh, just gives you a sense of what is going on in the the adolescent male's mind at that time. Yeah, and, and this what is, their concerns are. And this is perhaps a certain demographic. You know, I'm not going to say that all young boys there. No. Uh, you know, they're thirteen to sixteen years or. I don't know, probably 12 to 15, I would say, are because when you when you're 16 and you can drive, then it starts becoming more about like girls and stuff. But uh, for a while there, it's pretty much just pubes and, and, well, and penises and, well, and armpit hair, basically. You know? that, that conversation is like how 
that relates to women, the the whole young adult age. You're just trying to kind of survey the scene to understand what you're dealing with out there. And yeah, it's just growing up and understanding how you fit in, you know, males, how do you fit in? Exactly. And so, um, I give rule number one is, and I could actually even read the rules to be honest. It's, it's hilarious. I could find that text message, but I, I wanted to just to focus on rule number one today because rule number one is my favorite. And that there's a reason that it's rule number one It's because I think it's extremely important and it's be confident with your chest air. So, you know, um, there's a couple of kids on the team who are just starting to get chest hair. Some guys are shaving it, you know, because <laughs> there's, there's a lot of guys shaving it. There's a lot of guys shaving it. You're 14 years old. You don't know what the hell you're supposed to do. You're well, nervous. Culturally, you look at all the ads. Don't see a lot of chest hair out there. <laughs> there's not a lot. So showing a big hairy male. It's, it's nerve wracking. You know, it's, uh, I'll never forget like the first kid who on our basketball team got armpit hair. It was a topic of conversation for a long time. And the kid wore sleeves because he was afraid. And it's just like, that's what happened. That's what happens. It's adolescent. It's immature. But, you know, it's a it's a big it's a big deal in the uh, in the locker room scene. Oh, my God. Did you know that he's got armpit hair? It's like, yep. <laughs> oh, it seems so far away. And at the same time, so like palpable in terms of, you know, remembering that conversation and all that stuff. But well, I have big, me- I have a lot of memories of that, you know, just it's amazing the, how, how important those conversations were in the social structure of, you know, young males. Yeah. It just is, it's a whole new dynamic that you had to bring in to think about. And maybe that was just the sporting culture. You know, the culture of more sports, you know, people and athletes. But uh, yeah, it was pretty pervasive. And that is the caveat is like, I don't I, I don't want to speak that this was the conversation for all of the, you know, all of the young men, but it was, it, it certainly was on the sports teams. You know, you were talking about who's got the, who's got armpit hair and whatever. And um, I'll never forget, you know, one of the, one of the guys on our basketball team, he eighth grade, ninth, seventh grade, he, he was one of those dudes who just, he, he grew to six feet, like in the fifth grade and just dominated sports because yep. he was just an actual man and everybody else was still an adolescent boy. And, um, it was, it was always kind of funny because he was just strong and muscular. I mean, he could like grow a beard and, you know, we're in eighth grade or whatever. So he's just this great athlete. And, uh, the rest of it, and it's so funny how much of it is just, well, you know, you developed early, so you excel in high school sports, right? Like you're mm-hmm. never going to be a professional athlete. This isn't going to go anywhere. You just happen to have a dose of testosterone quite a bit before most other people. So you're more successful in this ad- athletic endeavor. Um, Anyway, so he never like was concerned about it. He was always just so matter of fact, just like whatever, you know, I am what I am. And I really appreciated that. And it's interesting how nobody ever really picked up on it or cared because what it was about is it was usually about those dudes who were not confident. You know, it it became a topic of conversation for those people who you knew were susceptible to the influence they're struggling with it that not yep. have 
and it's a really sad thing um, that happens is because uh, I think, you know, young men, you know, people are pushing the insecurity with themselves on each other. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're picking out the weak ones of the pack because you're not going to pick on the top dog. You know, nobody picks on the top dog. Nope. Um, and it, so it's just a sad, and it's, I don't think it's a, an avoidable thing in life. I think it's just the reality of, you know, that age of growing up and figuring out who's got pubes and who doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, and then, and then turning it into some sort of, social thing to deflect from yourself. And I was never a big talker, you know, but I certainly heard what was being said and what was being said was not always the most supportive of conversation. So, um, I'm sure you're, uh, you're, I don't know if your experience was similar to that. No, my, I think my experience wasn't as overt, you know, I think what there was kind of like a thin layer between what was said and what was unsaid. And, I think we were, you know, we were a little, maybe, I think, I don't know what it was, but our friendships, we weren't as, as forthright with, you know, what we were thinking. We were a little more, you know, trying to be politically correct, you know, trying not to really rock the boat. So I don't think, but there was definitely a thin layer of that, that was, you know, undermining most of the conversation. Yeah. Which is a. You know, it's a it was a driving influence in insecurity, in anxiety, in thought pattern. You know, it's like that's I remember specifically thinking about that a lot, a lot of the time. Is like who's developing? I mean, the biggest thing that we had in sports was there's a couple, couple kids like you said that developed in eighth and ninth grade, and they were boom on varsity. But you looked at their parents, and you could see like I don't I think they're kind of done. And so what happened is a lot of those kids had great opportunities early on in high school. You know, they're playing sports and a lot of these other kids and myself included developed later. So we're talking every year from sophomore, junior to senior year. I mean, I think I grew in college a little bit too, was like, a, you know, you just upgrade your your software every year you know it's like 40 at my 40 yard dash times went you know like four seven four six to four five to four three in senior year it was just like a massive drop you know and like that was all based not on how much i worked out but how much my growth um so it's pretty amazing it is i lifted weights every off season. So I played two sports, which meant I was lifting weights four or five times a day, every off season. And I was a skin and bones rail all throughout high school. And for whatever reason, when I hit 20, I was, I don't imagine I got that much more effective at lifting weights because I was still doing the same stuff. I put on 20 pounds in the matter of like three, three months basically. And it was like the first time that it was just like, boom, high dose testosterone. And I finally kind of filled out as far as like my frame. And, um, and so, you know, it's just a, it's a crazy dynamic because people put so much weight on sports and whatever. And then you got, you know, all these other factors. So all this to say that there's, there's a lot going on. And, um, I don't recall, I think I had like a tiny patch of chest hair when I was in high school. Like I, I specifically recall a couple of instances. So anyway, you know, 
I'm coaching these young gents and um, my first rule is be confident with your chest hair because uh, I just, you know, it's so critical and this is no, you know, um, surprise to anybody about how confidence is just, I think, really what people gravitate to and particularly women. Um, and, you know, I'm talking about that, the gentleman who had developed quite a bit earlier, he just had a confidence about him that nobody ever was going to, you know, step to him. You also were a little bit afraid that, you know, if you did, he might sock you in the mouth. You know, he had that sort of air, air about him. And um, it's just that at that critical age, you know, when people are developing, it's like I, I wanted to communicate that message about, you know, you should be confident with your chest hair. And so I, I was looking in the mirror the other day and I just noticed that my shoulder pads were coming in and I just chuckled because last time we were out skiing, um, you know, we were in the hot tub and I happened to catch a glimpse of your shoulder pads, which are pretty, pretty they're developed. I mean, they're, they're developed. developed. Yeah, <laughs> they're, uh, they're, 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 they're certainly there, you know, um, yeah. and then no I was kidding. just chuckling at myself because I was like, oh my God, my shoulder pads are coming in. This is going to be a great summer. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a good summer. It, uh, it's funny that that was your first rule because, um, Jordan Peterson's in his book, 12 rules of life. His first rule is stand up straight with your shoulders back with the exact same message of be confident in who you are. And so that's, you know, that's, I think when you're thinking about, and you and I talk about this, just being a male, confidence is such a thing. And so, you know, to put it, I think that was very, it's very hilarious how you put that, you're communicating in their in their language, in an adolescent language around chest hair, <laughs> because that's something that they're thinking about all the time. And so, you know, like, do I shave? Do I not shave? Where do I shave? You know, just like, it's such a funny thing because that's, it's, I, and it's not a message that you hear because you see all these people. And I think you and I talked about this. If you go to a Vegas pool party, you're not going to see any chest hair none and that you know that definitely impacts people like as a guy you see that and you are like man am i what is going on but i think we you and i both have talked about this a lot is just be confident in the chest hair and let you know the, there's there's the more confidence you have the better i think in life and if you can let some of those things go which you know, has taken us, you know, almost 30 years to do a lot of that. Um, that's just a whole, it's like a shortcut to, to, uh, confidence, but yeah, it's, it's so funny how that message you have on that rule. Cause it's so true. Yeah. And I specifically recall, um, like after that rule, young guys were, like sculpting their chest hair that had it and it and they were using it as a topic of conversation so somebody would like shave a particular design in their chest hair and then be like coach moen look at this <laughs> i was like i mean They're i love taking where you're taking heart. this guys but <laughs> that's kind of not the message <laughs> yeah you can't expect too much from a uh, a 14 year old kid no no, you're so, which I think goes back to something that 
you know, when when talking about the the growth or the maturity of an ad, of a boy, you know, we mature a lot later than women. So I think what's the age twenty six, and I mean, you can you can kind of argue maybe even thirty is when it takes a male brain to fully develop. I think 26 is the frontal lobe is fully developed, which my dad said to one of, <laughs> I forgot who it was, one of us on our 26th birthday was like, well, you're fully, your frontal lobe is now fully developed. <laughs> like, you're still growing until that point. Uh, so it's, it's something I think culturally, and we've talked about the educational system. I mean, there's a lot of things that don't account for that type of, maturation and patience for that maturation yeah and it's a challenge uh you know operating in a society that um you know there's still a lot of residual adolescence so um yeah that was that was just a a remark when i was staring in the mirror um you know and i was i was kind of chuckling because uh it's just it's such a it's such a funny thing that, you know, I mean, that people were using to just explain some of the, um, the, the, the challenges that you're talking about along that developmental cycle, because I think that one of the things that is, uh, a challenge for is that camaraderie around the developmental cycle, mm-hmm. you know, like, that's why I think like Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan, again, you know, we talked about this in the perhaps last, but are so successful is because I think there's more camaraderie around like the developmental process um, mm-hmm. because it's very isolating. And I think that camaraderie is just so critical um, yeah. as far as, you know, being able to gawk at, you know, whether or not somebody has pubes, you know, it's and shoulder <laughs> hair. Yeah. It's just, it's stupid, but it's really critical to like get that sort of anxiety out of your system. I feel like, and, you know, talk about it and, um, just not have it be something that is like shameful really. Yeah. And I think in the patience of, you know, developing and the weirdness of it and, you know, that's just, that's not something that <clears throat> I've ever heard anybody ever talk about as this topic ever. I mean, and, I, and that's why I think you and I have, you know, when we're talking this podcast is a good chance for us to kind of discuss some of those weird and funny and hilarious things. Cause it's, that's all on the top of a lot of adolescent minds. <laughs> it, was, it was mine. Well, it just, it continues, um, when you get into the next arena, right. You know, Mm -hmm. um, friends, work settings, whatever people are constantly just like positioning. There's so much of that. Um, and then even in the working world, you get, you know, the females there that are, that adds a whole different dynamic of positioning. And it's just, it's a challenge. It's something that, um, and, and, and then like evolving how you participate with that healthy level of confidence um, for me has just is, is, is the defining factor of my success really, mm-hmm. or is a yep. major contributing factor to my success in a meeting. If I'm going to approach something, you know, competitively or collaboratively and, you know, non-threatened or non-threatening, I mean, that's, it's just that is the make or break of like whether or not this is going to be a waste of everybody's time or not. And I just constantly try to like 
not have it be a waste of everybody's time, you know? So it's that sort of like, you know, um, just checking out the scene, you know, surveying where you fit in the mix is, you know, it's just a part of life, frankly. And, um, it evolves over time, but uh, it's a great, it's a, uh, that's one of the reasons that I think people want their children to be in sports is because it provides a, or, or band or any sort of group activity as a child, because it, it affords that earlier opportunity to, um, to explore that sort of like, you know, how do I participate and collaborate with others towards a shared mission? And, um, one thing I think is, is fascinating is how, um, online gaming is going to influence that overall perception. Um, cause I think there's very much that sort of camaraderie component to online gaming as well, but I want to draw the line at, um, the real, or I want to make a distinction between the, objective the the team objective of focused things like a first person shooter and then the alternate reality games because those i am just much less familiar with as far as like you know your runescape for those of you who are you know 30 years old your um your your doom your um you know your fantasy games where there's perhaps this sort of individual mission um, and you're on a quest or whatever. And I think that's a really fascinating kind of, um, like, uh, spinoff of games because it, it, it affords this, you know, alternate reality to, to what's going on. And, and, um, they're extremely popular in Asia. I think they're becoming more popular in the United States, but I'll never forget. I, I lived with a Chinese student at the university of Minnesota for my first year. And he and his friends played these alternate reality sim simulation games all the time. I mean, that was, he played basketball, studied and played that, the sim game. That was all they did. And, um, I don't know why, uh, you know, I think there's some, some bit of escapism going on. I think there's, you know, some fantasy, um, I think it's perhaps just more fun than their current situation. So I think there's, I think there's a lot of like cultural stuff going on that makes people attracted to gaming. But, um, it's, it's, I think it's just something that we need to be aware of as like virtual reality is going to become, um, you know, very prevalent. Uh, I have a friend of mine working on the BCI. He's always talking about like the brain computer interface and he's a trust fund kid who's like, um, you know, I'm working on the next 40 years of our future. I want to be the person who's figured out the brain computer interface. So he's, you know, all plugged into neural link and whatever the most recent advancement is there. And I, it's, it's going to be quite wild when people start combining reality and alternate reality. That's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week when we'll be be back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room.